Let me jump right in and tell you that right up front, I've got, I've got good news and bad news. Bad news first. What you are when you reach somewhere around 21, 22, certainly by 25 years of age, is pretty much what you're going to be when you draw your last breath. That's what you're going to be. Now, I, I, I recognize that we grow and mature, and especially Christ comes into our lives, things change. But the things that we struggle with as a young adult are things we're going to struggle with for the rest of our lives. That's the bad news because most of us, I mean, at 50, I'm almost 58 years old. A couple of weeks, I'll be 58. Hint, hint about birthday gifts. It, and, and so, <laughs> just kidding. I, I, I could care less about birthday celebrations, which is interesting because Allison, that's, she lives for birthday celebrations other than Jesus. She lives for him first and then birthday celebrations in that order. One, two. Those are her priorities. So, but, but, I, I mean, at this age, I am thinking, man, that's got to change. I've just got to change that about me. I, I, so that's the bad news. The good news is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes us. Jesus changes us. You remember the storyline that we've been talking about in Scripture. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That story is played out over and over in Scripture, and it's played out over and over in our lives. Even after we're saved, we continue to struggle with sin, and so consequently, we need the gospel every day. We need the, and there's a difference between the plan of salvation and the gospel. The gospel is the entire good news of Jesus Christ. So we need that gospel in our lives over and over every day. So as we begin to think about kingdom priorities this morning, I want us to take a moment for reflection. Now, most often, reflection and response comes at the end of the message. But, but so that we'll get the most out of our text and what we're thinking about, let's do a little reflecting up front. So here are a couple of questions to ask you. First, when you, you think about all that is important to you, your relationship with Jesus, your family, your job, recreation, uh, your church, possessions, anything at all that's important to you, would you say that your priorities are properly aligned? Do you have the right things at the top and then the other things further down so that if you've only got so many hours in a day, your first focus is the Lord and family and job and the things that you must focus on, but the things that are important priorities. I, I realize sometimes that life fo- causes us to focus in areas that, that we don't think are important just because of illness or, or, or financial situation, whatever it is, it causes us to focus over here. But for the most part, even if our priorities are not ordered as they should be, they're ordered as we want them to be. And we may moan and groan and say, oh, I need to do this and that. But, but, but we, make, we make the choices, don't we? We make the choices about what gets priority in our lives. We're going to watch the TV show or we're going to read the Bible. It's, we, we make the choices. <clears throat> so, having established the miserable and wretched state of our current condition, here is the second question. What is the main priority that gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus? What is the one thing that really gets in the way of your relationship 
with Jesus. Now, now the last question. Is money somehow involved in whatever it is that gets in between you and the Lord? You may not think so at first blush, but, but think again. Our text this morning is going to be 1 Timothy 6, 6-19. But I'd like first to think about some of the words that Jesus said about giving. Randy Alcorn says that 15%, and I assume he's done the study, 15% of everything that Jesus said was about money, had something to do with money. That's more than he preached about heaven and hell combined. The only topic that comes close to that is the second coming of Christ. I'm coming again, I'm coming again. Interesting that he talks so much about money and about he's coming again and people will give an account when I come. Look, look at what he said in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <clears throat> So here's a way to think about our priorities. Where are your treasures? Now you may be thinking, look, my family is way high on my priority list. I mean, sure, I work to provide for them, but it's because I love them. Now those are noble sentiments. Indeed, all of us should care deeply about our families and providing for them, especially the men amongst us. We, we want to provide for our families. The Lord's put that inside of us. It's a good thing. But is it possible that family can become an idol? Absolutely it is. How can we tell? Well, well this is not the only way. But what we do with our money, even in, in, with regard to our family, is, a, is, is an indicator. It's a, it's a pretty good indicator. I mean, do we spend so much on our families that we don't have anything left over for the Lord? I mean, my goodness, the children need a good Christmas. The grandchildren, the grandchildren. I, if it were just my children, I wouldn't care. But my grandchildren, for goodness sakes. They have to have a good Christmas. Scripture makes it quite clear quite clear that when our relationship with the Lord is what it should be, a percentage of our money should go to the Lord's work. 10%? Well, the New Testament does not require it. But we've been talking about how Scripture is telling a story. And much of the law that was written in the Old Testament is expected to be fulfilled in our lives as we walk in the Spirit. In fact, we're told in Romans 8 that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in you. Passive voice in the Greek, which simply means it's not us that's due. It's somebody else is fulfilling the law, is obeying the law. It's the Spirit of God working in us. And if he said 10% in the Old Testament, and Jesus has done so much for us, and Jesus talks so much about money, and the, and the giving out of a graceful, grace-filled life and, and, and heart, then I, I hardly think he expects less of us than 10%. In fact, New Testament examples abound where people give far more, really, than their able to do most of us are tempted to live beyond our, our means these people in the church gave beyond their means and often they were poor dirt poor in fact 
Well, there's a lot more to say, but let's move toward our text. We're not there yet, but we're moving there. Here are a few things that I want us to look for that, that hopefully will make the truth of the text come alive in your heart. First, there are two lifestyles presented in Scripture. Either live for yourself or live for God. Second, it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil, not money itself. I, I, I think it would have just been easier if the Lord had said money is the root of all evil or money itself is evil. Then we would know where we stand. But it's not. We have to wrestle with our desires on the inside. It's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. It's our desire for the security and the pleasures that money seem to provide. And, and, and money does a very good job of seeming to provide security and pleasure. But it's that desire to have that that brings evil. In fact, you can be dirt poor and be far more guilty of this sin than a billionaire. However, we must acknowledge, third, that riches can be a snare. Now, this text is, again, it's going to say it's the desire to be rich that causes destruction in our lives. But a taste of financial gain can create all kinds of inappropriate desires in our hearts. It seems that the more we have, the more we want. Fourth, contentment has nothing, utterly, absolutely nothing to do with how much money we have. Sometimes the most contented people that you know don't have much. And last, every single one of us in this room is rich. 925 million people in the world do not have enough food to eat. Almost one billion. billion. Now you may say, look, times are scarce and we just don't have enough to eat. You may not have as much as you want, but you have enough. And you have ways of getting enough food to survive. And I recognize that I say this from a position that may be better than yours financially. And so I do not say this arrogantly, but I'm telling you, every single person in this room is rich by world standards. And so as we read our text, 1 Timothy 6, 6-19, let each one of us consider these warnings to the rich and let us consider the claim that God, the one who dwells in unapproachable light, makes on the ultimate priority of our focus. So would you please stand as we read our text, 1 Timothy 6, <clears throat> verses 6-19. to 19. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, 
steadfastness. I keep losing my place. I'm so sorry. Gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in, this, in the presence of God who gives life to all things of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that's our Jesus, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, that's our Father. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray. Father, this is a good word to us. It's just one, one place to think about this topic, Lord, of, of giving. And giving, giving of our funds, is, as Drew said a little while ago, is only a part of how we worship. It's only a part of how we give. But it's an important part. And so open our hearts and, and, and excite us, Lord, and thrill us with the ways that you can work through our lives through our, our giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Perhaps I should have uh, titled this message, Lists. Um, here's another one. Let's think about three principles with regard to our giving. Then we'll work our way through the text and finish with yet another list. Does it surprise you that a person, the more a person makes the lower percentage he or she gives it seems counterintuitive doesn't it but the studies show that the more we gain the less likely we are to give a significant percentage of our money to the lord one time, one study a, a, a while back showed that uh, uh, many more people gave 10 percent of their money if they made 20,000 or less the more you make the less percentage you give. It's one of the dangers or the snares of riches that we're contemplating in our text. It's also true that if a person is going to tithe, the habit generally begins in early years. So students, get in the habit of tithing right now and practice giving to the church where you're being blessed. That's the principle of Galatians 6.6. 6. Now, we, we constantly, because of our association with Campbell and and people moving into the area, you know, we, we constantly have people coming through here. So some of you have heard this story two or three times, but I say this particularly to the students. When, when my children went to college, all three of them, they were already in the practice of, of tithing. I mean, it was not an option in our house until they left home. They had to tithe. I mean, we just, 
any money. If the grandmother gave them a little bit, we tithe it. You know, you put this aside, you're going to give this to the Lord. And they would sometimes, when they were looking for a church, you know, in the early times, they would give me a check and say, this is for Grace Community Church. That's where I'm going to put my tithe. And I would say, thank you very much. However, as soon as you get involved in a church, start giving your money there. That's the New Testament principle. Where you are being blessed, that's where you give your money. So, I want to encourage you to, to begin doing that now. But how can I give? I don't even work. Well, again, does anybody ever send you money? By the way, young and old, why would we not think about tithing money that people that we get that, 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 that comes to us from other ways other than giving? I mean, look, if you win the lottery, tithe it. Just kidding, that's a joke. I'm not going to encourage you, don't, don't, that's, that's a poor man's tax is what the lottery usually is. Because, because of our desire to be rich, you know, hey, if I can just, I'm going to put the money here, I'm going to pray real hard. It's a desire to, it's a desire to get out of our current circumstances, but I want to tell you, if you get that $10 million, you're going to want more. You're going to want to invest, it's just the way it is. It's, it, money gets a hold of us. Look, old and y- young and old alike, even when a tax return comes in, well, but I've already tithed on that money. I understand that, and I'm not going to try to make you feel guilty for not giving from a tax return. But my goodness, any opportunity to give, any money that comes in that we weren't anticipating or that we've earned, no matter, we ought to be giving to the Lord. It all belongs to Him, right? He's the one that gave it to us, and it's a joy out of grace to give back. One more thing before we jump into the text. It's never too late to begin tithing if you're older and you've never practiced this maybe you've given a little bit you know a hundred dollars a month when you're capable of giving a thousand or two thousand dollars a month because of what you make if if the lord seems to be speaking to your heart then there is an urgency you need to respond to that and i can point you to person after person who said i didn't know how we were going to make it i mean my goodness we hadn't been doing it but the Lord provided in unbelievable ways when we became obedient and started giving to him. Look, if you're reluctant to go 10%, go 5%. Just, just step it up wherever you are. <laughs> and 10% is not the place to stop. That's the place to start. Get to that place. If you, whatever it takes, get to that place. We're going to talk a lot more in the home groups about you know, how to give and where to give and, and all of that. Well, let's get to the text. The Lord tells us there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Look, there's no gain in godliness without contentment. There's no gain in contentment without godliness. But there is godly, great gain with godliness and contentment. Most people think there is great gain with financial advancement. But every one of us knows story after story where money did not make someone happy. In fact, some people were way, way better off without money. Be content with what you have. That's not exactly what it says here. It says it in Hebrews 13. But that's what the word contentment means. To be content with what you have. Unless you think that I am preaching at you, this text was written by the Apostle Paul to his young, young uh, 
mentee Timothy, who was the pastor, teaching elder at, at the church of Ephesus. And so it's written to, to ministers to, to take heed and don't allow money to become the thing that is important to you. It's a tricky line for all pastors. It's a tricky line for all of us, in fact. What do you need right now, and what do you want right now? A new car? A new home? A new entertainment system? New clothes? New golf clubs? New furniture? Did I miss anybody? (laughs) Okay. This verse is not saying we should never buy anything new. I mean, everything eventually wears out because of the fall. So we have no choice but to replace the stuff that wears up and wears out. And look, in our culture, we live in a particular context. And this is really tricky. But it's not, it's not a wrong thing to want to have nice things and to, to look nice, to present yourself the best you can. But it is a very, very thin line. And certainly using the resources that God has given us allows us and enables us many times to talk to people that nobody else can talk to. Those who are given the ability to make a great deal of money have the opportunity to minister to others in that realm. But, but I got to tell you, Scripture indicates that it ain't a whole lot of those people that care much about the kingdom and never will because they get entangled with money, and so we have to be very, very careful. The secret is the secret of all this is not to allow the desire to have nice things to control us, whether we have the money for them or not. What did we bring into this world? Not. Well, what are we going to take out? Verse eight is staggering, is it not? If you think, well. I'm pretty content. Find a way to project yourself into a place where you lose everything. And you've got nothing. It it, it would have just been better to never have had anything in the first place, wouldn't it? Than to have a lot and then to have nothing. How would you do in that place? Every single one of us needs to ask God to give us that heart. Right now, we only get it when he is our first priority. And Paul talked about it. You'll talk about it in home groups. I've learned whatever state I am in with having plenty or having little to be content, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me say again, we will never be content until Jesus has first place in our lives. If our priority in life is to be rich, we open ourselves to many different Kinds of temptations which very well may in turn lead to ridiculous and unhealthy desires. And many of those can lead to our destruction. They just can do that. As we begin to increase our earnings and accumulate possessions. All kinds of opportunities open up to us that weren't available before. I mean ethics are challenged and oftentimes compromised as money as our bank accounts grow. The opportunities for sinful pleasures dramatically increase, which, if indulged, can and often do destroy us. But we don't have to have a lot of money to fall into temptation, do we? It's the love of money, after all, that is the root of all kinds of evil. And this sin exists in the ghetto just as readily as it does in the most expensive 
part of town, the nicest section of town. We may never have much money at all, but if we succumb to the goal to be rich, then we will also succumb to harmful desires that will lead to our destruction. But that's not the life to which God has called us, is it? Instead of pursuing riches, we are to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Making money certainly doesn't doesn't automatically create unhealthy desires or an unhealthy pursuit of riches in our hearts and lives. Just because a person has money or makes money doesn't mean that he is going to then begin to pursue riches at all costs, by no means. In fact, I'm convinced that the spiritual gift of giving requires the gift of making. When the, when the scripture talks about the gift of giving, we think about the gift of faith, the gift of prayer. Prayer is, is not mentioned as, as such as a gift, but clearly some people pray much more easily and, and, and much more frequently than others do. And it's like a, a spiritual gift. And I think the, the spiritual gift of giving is one who gives really very generously and is able to help the, the, the work of the, of the ministry because of those gifts. And in order to do that, you have to have the gift of, of making. But when we're driven to be rich, we're thinking primarily of ourselves, maybe of our families, but really we're, we're thinking about self. Thus, our lives usually don't reflect the values listed in verse 11. If money is our... Making money is our primary objective in life. Verse 12 helps with our perspective. Rather than trying to keep up with the neighbor or a vain brother-in-law, take hold of eternal life. That's what laying up treasures in heaven are all about. I mean, what we have here is nothing compared to what's going to be in heaven. Nothing. Paul is saying that to Timothy, who is relatively poor. He's saying, take hold of eternal life, Timothy. Don't. Don't strive for, but he's going to say the exact same thing to those who are wealthy a little bit later. Our focus needs to be on heaven, not on the fleeting, rusting, decaying possessions of this life. And when we focus on heavenly things, then our lives back up the words that we confess to others about Jesus and about eternal life. To live in this way is commanded by the Lord. It may be easier to respond to this command if we keep the second coming in mind. I mean, you ever, you ever been doing something in secret because you thought that your parents or your spouse or your friends wouldn't show up quite as soon as they did and they ended up showing up? And you're busted, and I'm not talking about evil, wicked stuff, but just stuff you know that, you know, the other person doesn't really think is a good idea. But you're doing it anyway because you think, well, I got some time. What's it going to be like when Jesus comes back? It's another reason that this, it's so urgent that we respond to him with what we do with our finances because he's going to show up when we don't expect it. Right in the middle of all this talk about money, Paul tells Timothy to focus on the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Our motives and attitudes and actions are tainted by the fall and often by outright choices of sin, of having our way rather than submitting to God. 
And all this time where we're making these choices here, he remains untainted and no fallen mortal eye can ever behold the fullness and the brightness of his glory. But our gaze needs to be in that place where he dwells and we can see enough to know that what is there is far better than what is here. And then godliness with contentment becomes a distinct possibility. After this beautiful doxology, Paul commands Timothy to charge those who are rich. He doesn't charge them to give away all of their money to the poor. He doesn't say, take all the money that you have, give it to the poor. Did Jesus ever say that? Well, actually he did on a couple of occasions. But you have to understand, Jesus often used hyperbole to make a point. For instance, if your eye offends you, if your eye causes you to sin, what does he say to do? Gouge it out. He's speaking in in extreme terms. And he's pointing out that money often has an absolute stranglehold on us. And so don't allow that to happen. Paul commands Timothy to tell those who are rich to be careful. He doesn't say give away your money. He just says be careful. The first warning God gives to the rich is not to be haughty. We learned this week, those of us who fasted and prayed and and came here together on Wednesday night from Deuteronomy 8.18 that the ability to achieve wealth comes from God. I mean, he expects us to work hard, but we accumulate wealth at his discretion and his direction. Not our own. Uh, Often when someone has a lot of money, it's because he or she works hard, has good instincts, makes wise investments in business decisions. A rich person didn't achieve wealth by being foolish. And so it's easy for a rich person to think, look, I'm successful at this. I must be successful at everything. And and, and maybe he tends to think I'm always right because I've got money. We can think that from any number of directions, but money certainly has a really odd way of thinking, making us think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I mean, in fact, everybody else has told a rich person how handsome, how intelligent, how uh, right he is, how smart you are, how right you are, until you lose the money. Then all of a sudden, those, you know, your crowd, your admiring crowd is not there anymore. And there's just as much danger on the other end of an association with someone who has a lot of money. You may have, you may be jealous of a person who has money and it may eat you alive from the inside out. If you have money, do not be arrogant, but rather recognize that God has given you the money that you have for a purpose. To support the local church, to support missionaries, to help those less fortunate than you, beginning in the church and then moving outside the church. Again, it's not seen in the New Test in this verse, but it's a New Testament principle. Look, the, the, the problem here this morning was not, oh my, I've got to talk about giving. What am I going to say? Where am I going to find something in the Bible? It's what to leave out. And so you just have to take my word. There is an order. There's a priority of giving. In doing so, we take hold of eternal life. And there is that phrase again. It's about hope in Jesus. It's about kingdom priorities i'm not i'm not allowing this to marinate because i realize where the clock is and i'm telling you i'm almost through but i want us to consider one last list some concluding thoughts about giving
some of which are discussed in this text, and again, others which are a part of the bigger plan for giving found in Scripture. First, be generous. Being generous with your money is a protection against greed. The the general tenor of Scripture and tone and direction of Scripture is focus on the inside and then you'll do the right things. But there's no doubting this principle. If we are generous with our money, it affects us in a very positive way. It's not a contradiction to say that if you will be disciplined and generous with your money, even in the face of strong temptations to prioritize self and even family, your focus will begin to shift from this world to kingdom priorities. It just works that way. In fact, those who give generously tend to, to be a lot more disciplined with their money. Look, you give 10% of your money off the top, and that's where it's supposed to come from, off the top. If you give 10% of your money to the Lord's work off the top, you're going to be careful with that other 90%. Much more so than if you didn't give. That's why God, does, well, that's why he designed it that way. It's his business. It all belongs to him. But he designed it that way, off the top. If you wait to see how much leftover you have at the end of the month, chances are pretty good that you'll rarely give generously, if ever. <clears throat> Look, here's an idea. Let's wait to see how much money we have at the end of the month left over, and that's how much we're going to spend on food next month. We'd be a lot more careful, wouldn't we? If we said, I I don't eat if I don't have money at the end of this month. So give, if you give, you're going to be more careful. I suppose that the time, if ever there's a time to, to just put off tithing, you know, and make sure that the bills are paid, that, 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 that there's food on the table, and that there's, that, that time is, well, I don't know when that time is. I, I'm not kidding. I, I don't know when that time is. The Lord says, give from the first fruits. Either we believe that, and trust him and obey him. Or we have a wait and see approach to giving. And I'm not sure that scripture affirms that anywhere. There's a principle in scripture. That for Christ followers when we acknowledge God he acknowledges us. When we fail to acknowledge him, he holds back. He's gracious to us, but he wants us to be serious about him. And when you are willing to give, according to Matthew 6, he's going to take care of you. If you will give, he's going to take care of you. When you give, this is the priority in Scripture. Give first to the church, then to missionaries, then to those who are in need, both in and out of church. Now, your primary giving should be to the church. And my goodness, I'm the pastor. I'm the, I'm the teaching elder saying this. It's not as easy as, you, as I make it look. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's difficult to say this because I know what it feels like to you. But I, I can make a good case through all of Scripture and in the New Testament, that this is the priority of giving. It's Scripture is both explicit and implicit on this topic. 
I know you may feel differently, and ultimately it's between you and God. In fact, please know this. I don't know what you're giving unless you're asked to serve as an elder or a deacon. And then I don't know what the amount that you're giving. I just want to know that this person is giving somewhat consistent with the way that he lives. This is my understanding of Scripture, and so it's important to say so. Um, And, oh, there was something else I was going to say, but I, I don't remember it, so. Um, oh, I, I did want to say this in, in, in lines in, in these lines. If given to the church is the most important, it needs to be bigger than your giving to designated funds that we have from, from time to time here. And it needs to be give, bigger than your benevolence giving. It needs the first priority needs to be to the ministry of the church. Now, for those of you who are still with me, you know, and for those of you who will be back next week, one last thing. (laughs) Never, ever, ever make the mistake of thinking that a person's financial status is an indication of his or her relationship with the Lord. It was the very thing. The New Testament is full of grace. Every once in a while, God says, I will discipline my children to the point of bringing them home of them dying and it was one of the reasons that he brought people home and at the church in Corinth because they made judgments about a person's walk with the Lord based on their financial uh, income and on their uh, um, uh, ability to, to give. I mean, sometimes God allows us to struggle in order to fulfill his purposes in our lives. Which is easier for you, to be a generous giver or a humble, grateful receiver? Funny how we pride rears its head in us when people when we're forced to to, to, to to receive from other people. One's is as bad as the other, not being a generous giver or failing to be a humble, grateful receiver. While, while it's generally true, if we tithe, our needs will be met. That's why, I, look, if you're struggling with money, go home, look at your bank account, look at your income from last month, write a check for 10% and see what happens. There's no way I can do that. See what happens. Test me, the Lord said in Malachi. Test me and see if I don't open the windows of heaven. There's the principle in all of Scripture. Even so, sometimes as we give, we tithe. Uh, Excuse me, as we give, um, even if we give and we tithe, we have needs. And it's also true that sometimes God meets our needs through others. So if you're in need of benevolence, do not think that I think that that means you're not giving. I don't know whether you're giving or not. I I just hope that I will be gracious when that day comes. It was difficult for us to receive when, when Linda was so sick. I hope that when that day comes that I need it and when you need it, that we will be as gracious receivers as we are generous giver. God is the giver of all good things, even the ability to earn money. So be very, very, very careful about judging others. Worry about your own giving, and as much as possible, do that in secret. Well, just before the benediction, we're going to remember the words of our Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves 
treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray.